You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. All right, and welcome to this edition of the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. Mike Chappell's out. Dave Griffiths is on assignment, so it's just me this week, Matt Adams. It'll be a little bit shorter of an episode, and there's a reason for it. Uh, This is the NFL's dead period. We've discussed this a little bit on the podcast before. Uh, it just means that, you know, the Colts and the NFL in general are pretty much done for the time being. They're taking a break. Uh, there will be few, very few personnel moves, anything like that. Teams have wrapped up their off-season programs, and they're looking ahead to training camp. So we're not going to have, you know, a lot of free agency stuff. Uh, really about the only thing that we're going to have to look at are draft pick signings. And speaking of the Colts draft pick, Three remain unsigned so far. Of course, Anthony Richardson, the quarterback, taken fourth overall in the draft. Juju Brents, a cornerback, the second-round pick, 44th overall. And Blake Freeland, an offensive tackle taken in the fourth round, the 106th overall pick. They all remained unsigned. So basically three of the team's top four picks still sign their contracts um, or still need to sign their contracts. Not a ton of wiggle room here as far as negotiations go because the NFL has a rookie salary scale and that will pretty much determine how much these teams uh, will be able to offer these players and how much the players will make. There's some wiggle room and a little bit in terms of, you know, maybe how much money is in a signing bonus versus how much is in the contract, that sort of thing. But as far as the overall amount, there's not uh, much room to go. Now, according to NFL.com, the only top five pick to sign so far is Will Anderson Jr., the uh, Edge, who inked a four-year, $35 million rookie contract with the Houston Texans back on June the 23rd. Other top five picks unsigned include Bryce Young of the Panthers, C.J. Stroud of the Texans, and Devin Witherspoon of the Seattle Seahawks. We mentioned training camp last week. They'd released the schedule. Didn't talk about it a whole lot, so we'll go over some of the details, uh, some of the, the training camp stuff in a little bit more detail here. Camp kicks off on July the 26th at Grand Park Sports Campus in Westfield. It'll end on August the 17th. This is the fifth year the team has held training camp there in Westfield. They were also there in 2018, 2019, 2021, and 2022. Now, the 2020 one is missing there, of course. But that's the COVID year. Uh, the Colts did not, uh, were unable to hold, you know, an open uh, to fans training camp that year. So they held that uh, during the 20 season the 2020 season they held that at the indiana farm bureau football center uh, because of course the covid 19 pandemic players expected to report uh, july 25th there in westfield there will be four evening practices july 29th august the 5th august the 16th and august the 17th the last two those 16th and 17th august are the joint practices with the bears ahead of their preseason game 13 practices are open to the public this year the usual start time for, I, I would say the most of them, the most common start time is 10 a.m., although there are a few that start at 9 a.m. and uh, one that starts on 2 p.m. on August the 6th. Now, for those of you looking to go to training camp, which is free, you need to get your tickets registered at uh, colts.com camps. Got all the information there. Uh, there will be some special days involved there um, if you're heading out to the camp. Uh, camp kickoff, of course, is July the 26th. There is a kids' day on July the 28th. Back Together Weekend on July the 29th. The Colts will host their Salute to Service on August the 1st. There will be a Youth Sports Day on August the 3rd, and Give Back Sunday on August the 6th, and then uh, Fan Appreciation on August the 10th, and then, of course, as we mentioned before, they'll wrap up with those joint practices 
with the Chicago Bears on August 16th and 17th, and that'll be it for training camp in Westfield. Another little bit of Colts news to share. Uh, the ESPYs are coming up on July the 12th, and the Ursay family and the Colts Kicking the Stigma Mental Health Initiative is nominated for the Sports Humanitarian Team of the Year Award. Uh, the Colts and Ursay founded that initiative in 2020. It's dedicated to raising awareness about mental health issues and providing resources for research and treatment. Uh, it's included benefits um, where they've raised money and then grants to different organizations in different places, uh, public service announcements featuring players, staff, coaches, and team ownership, and then the team opened the Ursay Institute at IU earlier this year. Now, sort of the main topic today is, is an offshoot. I, I mean, it, it'll be brief, but there was an article on ESPN.com today by staff writer Brooke Pryor who uh, put together an article about seven players who had a cup of coffee in the NFL. It's a good read. I'll put it down uh, in the description. I'll put a link down in the description. And what it means by cup of coffee is guys who, you know, were in the NFL for a brief time. And in the cases of the seven players that were featured in this particular article, they only spent, you know, one game and in some cases one play uh, in the actual NFL as far as the regular season is concerned. It's an interesting read, uh, a lot of fun to go through. And I was just looking through it, and then I noticed there were several Indianapolis or Indiana connections with the story. And I thought, well, you know, okay, this is interesting, just this one guy, but then another guy, and another guy, and another guy had uh, connections. As it turned out, four of the seven players that uh, were profiled in this article had some sort of tie to the Indianapolis area or Indiana or the Indianapolis Colts themselves. So I'm just going to kind of go through these really quickly. I thought they were a lot of fun. You know, you think of these guys, you know, playing their whole careers, uh, you know, playing in college, trying to get to the pros and, you know, taking, taking their shot. And sometimes you get it, sometimes it works out. Sometimes guys, you know, get drafted high or they get signed as a, as a free agent. They never even really make it, you know, to the show, to the pros, to the highest level of football. These guys made it. It didn't last long, but they made it, and I thought some of these stories were kind of interesting. So we're going to start off here with Matt Kinzer. He was a punter with the Detroit Lions on August the 11th, 1987. Pretty interesting story. This guy was a really good baseball player. He played nine games in Major League Baseball. He was drafted originally by the Cardinals. He also ended up playing for the Detroit Tigers a little bit. Uh, he had a friend who called him one day because the Detroit Lions were having an open uh, tryout for punters, and he had punted in college at Purdue University, and he'd gone to high school in Indiana as well, and kind of in high school became a punter kind of uh, as, as a fluke. He was just sort of kicking the ball one day, and the coach was like, wow, you can, you can punt pretty well, and if you keep that up, then, you know, maybe you can go and do that somewhere. So he ended up going to Purdue University, and he was a punter there for the, the team. He also played baseball there. He chose Purdue because it was one of the few, one, the only school uh, in the article that uh, would offer him, you know, uh, he, he would have the ability to play both baseball and football. So he went to this tryout, impressed a, a little bit, and, and basically a coach challenged him to kick a ball over a chain that was hanging from the rafters at the Silver Dome. And after three attempts, he made it uh, on the third try there. And uh, then they went and signed a, a contract. That's how he ended up with the Lions. He made only one appearance for the Lions, and it happened to be at Lambeau Field against the Green Bay Packers again October 11th, 1987. He had seven punts for 238 yards, including a long of 42 yards, but he pulled his hamstring 
and had some bone spurs in his knees. And at that point after the game, he's like, I hadn't really done the punting stuff for a few years. And I just went to this tryout and I, I gave it my best. And now I'm kind of hurt and I, I don't want to do this anymore. So he kind of hung up the NFL career there. But eventually he went back to baseball a year later. And uh, like I said, he had played for the Cardinals and the Tigers. And according to Baseball Almanac, uh, Kinzer's the only person to play a game for both the Detroit Lions and the Detroit Tigers. So just kind of a fun little story there about an Indiana connection with a guy having a cup of coffee in the league. The other one, uh, this has a direct Indianapolis Colts tie. This is Chad Kelly, who uh, was drafted by the Denver Broncos and then later played for the Colts for a couple seasons, practice squad guy, saw him in preseason a little bit, and he was a very popular guy that people wanted to see in the game, sort of the, the Sam Ellinger of, of his age, if you will, although it was just a few years ago. Uh, he appeared in one game with the Denver Broncos, October 14th, 2018, he came in for one play because the quarterback, uh, I think it was Case Keenum at that time, who was being evaluated right before halftime for, for a head injury. And so they had to bring in uh, Chad Kelly to take a knee and kill the clock at the end of the first half against the Rams. And to this day remains his only regular season NFL snap. As I, as I mentioned, he did catch on with the Colts later. He saw some action in the preseason, but he actually hasn't appeared in a regular season NFL game since taking that knee. Uh, he was drafted by the Broncos as uh, in the 2017 uh, edition of the draft, and he was the seventh round pick, the last pick of the seventh round, making him Mr. Irrelevant. And although he's not played in the NFL since, uh, he had he did play in the CFL last year, and you know he's still kind of hoping that his his football experience, uh, his bloodlines, his nephew of NFL great Jim Kelly, could you know one day you know get him a shot into the NFL, but you know that remains to be seen. So his cup of coffee came on a, a kneel down to kill the clock uh, in a game against the Rams. He said Aaron, Aaron Donald came up to him after that, you know, and kind of recognized that he was, he was in the game. So that was a, a nice moment for Kelly, whose college career was sort of derailed by some personal issues, and that probably also held him back a little bit in his draft status and that sort of thing. So Ted Karras Jr., October 4th, 1987, he played for Washington during the strike-shortened season. There was labor strife that year, and so it was unclear, you know, if they would be able to play football, and so some players did cross the picket line. Uh, he recorded a sack in one game, and uh, he also said that he recalled suiting up for a second game, but just officially in the record books, it appears that he was in one game. Uh, he's pretty famous. Uh, his family's pretty famous. His, his dad played nine seasons with the Chicago Bears. His uncle Alex Karras was a pro bowler with the Lions, and his son is a center for the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, locally, he's currently the head football coach at Marion University here in Indianapolis, and it's a return for him because when the school first established its football program back in the 2000s. He was Marion's first head football coach. He's gone on to, to do a couple other things, coached at a couple other places, but now he's back at Marion as uh, the head football coach there. Now, according to him, he was studying to become a stockbroker when he got the call from the team. He, he'd been close to, to making the final, you know, roster during training camp. Didn't quite get there when they had the strike. You know, they were looking for people to come and play, and he consulted with his dad and kind of debated, you know, do I cross the picket line? Do we do this? Do we try it? And he's like, you know what? I may not get another shot to do this. And, you know, as it turns out, he didn't. Uh, he suited up, played in that, that game, 
And uh, that was pretty much it for his pro football career. They did resolve the strike. Washington that season actually ended up winning the Super Bowl that year, and, and he was not part of that team. By then, they had, they'd gone on, you know, with the, with the pro players that had that the team had under contract, that sort of thing. But uh, his efforts uh, for years, you know, necessarily weren't recognized by Washington. But in 2017, there was a 30 for 30 documentary uh, called Year of the Scabs that came out. And it, it was about that strike season, uh, an excellent documentary there uh, done by ESPN for their 3030 series. And, you know, after that came out, it got some people talking a little bit and the Washington players who crossed the picket lines ended up getting Super Bowl rings. So, you know, you've got a, a Super Bowl ring, Super Bowl championship out of this for Ted Karras Jr., who, again, is the coach at Marion University. All right, now, one that I remember really, really well, and I was glad to see this guy pop up in this particular article, it was Kerwin Bell. And I don't know if uh, Colts fans may remember that name, may not. Uh, Kerwin Bell was a really, really good quarterback in the SEC, but they had had some uh, sort of some disciplinary problems in that program, not, not with Bell necessarily, but just the program as a whole. His draft stock, you know, he didn't get drafted kind of where he would wanted to be. He got drafted by the Miami Dolphins and played, you know, behind Dan Marino, which means, you know, at that point you didn't really play because Marino was the guy. He bounced around a little bit. Played for the CFL, uh, played in the World Football League, played for some other NFL teams. But during the 1996 season, he ended up as the third quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. Now, that season, the Colts uh, had some struggles, as uh, they were wont to do back in those days. But this season was actually a playoff season for the Colts, a back-to-back -back playoff season for them. They finished 9-7 nine nine and seven that year. They ended up going to the uh, wild-card playoffs. They lost to the Steelers. Uh, the season before, of course, they had gone with Jim Harbaugh at quarterback and, and almost uh, got to the Super Bowl after getting to the AFC Championship game. But Kerwin Bell was their third quarterback that year. Jim Harbaugh, who is one of my all-time favorite Indianapolis Colts players, maybe my all-time Indianapolis Colts player, me, uh, that's going to be blasphemy to some people because Peyton Manning is great, and I love Peyton. But when, when I was in my formative years and the Colts were not very good, Harbaugh came in, he gave him a spark, and he got him into the playoffs and back-to-back -back seasons, including that memorable game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. But anyway, Harbaugh, as was often the case during the, the tail end of his career at Indianapolis, was hurt. So the Colts started Paul Justin, uh, which is another name that you'll probably uh, remember for, for some of you Colts fans who've been around for the, the pre-Peyton uh, Manning era. Paul Justin uh, was starting at quarterback that game, but you know what? He got hurt against the Eagles, and so uh, they had to call upon Kerwin Bell to play in that game, the third-string quarterback. He came in, completed his first pass to Marshall Falk, and uh, later hit Marvin Harrison for a 20-yard touchdown pass. Now, Bell finished the game 5 for 5 for 75 yards and a touchdown. That is a perfect quarterback rating of 158.3. So he, that's the only game he ever played in the NFL. He ended up with a perfect quarterback rating in that game. The Colts ended up winning 37 to 10 uh, in that game against the Philadelphia Eagles. Again, he was never in the NFL uh, ever again in the regular season. Uh, he was with the Colts during the 97 years, kind of their third quarterback, but he didn't play for them. Uh, went on to play in the CFL, and uh, he is now the head coach at Western Carolina, which is a Southern Conference football team, an FCS team. 
So there you have it. You've got Matt Kinzer, Chad Kelly, Ted Karras, and Kerwin Bell all there in uh, the Cup of Coffee article. There's a couple other players, not necessarily in direct Indiana or Indianapolis or Indianapolis Colts uh, connections with those individuals, but it's really an entertaining story. Uh, you know, you think about these guys uh, getting their chance and trying to make the best of it. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it wasn't. And, and I think the thing that's, that's nice about each of these individuals in the article is, you know, they all know that they got a, they got the chance that not everybody gets to have. And that is just a, a really cool thing that they made it. They, they got there. And while they didn't end up with, you know, 10-year careers or Hall of Fame careers or, or making in the Pro Bowl or anything like that, they got to do something that few other people ever get to do in their lives. And that's play football professionally in the national football league. So uh, again, I'll put a link to that story uh, in the in the description of the podcast. Definitely check it out. It's it's really an enter entertaining read. And I, I'm glad I, f I found that because honestly, we were looking a little bit thin on content this week. So, you know, again, kind of a truncated podcast this week uh, with uh, Mike Alts and Dave Griffiths being on assignment. But you know what? That is going to wrap it up this week for a shortened version of the Colts Blue Zone podcast. That's episode 282 for those of you keeping score at home. For Dave Griffiths and Mike Chappell, I'm Matt Adams, and we'll talk to you next time. 